Well, good morning, everybody. I'm so glad that you guys could come out today. Uh, I've been the one today who is lucky enough to get to be able to give the devotion for you guys this morning. Um, it's something that I've been thinking about a long time. It's the, it's the idea of God's mercy. And I think what I am bringing to you, if you're a believer, it should strengthen you and it should give you confidence and more hope in our Savior. And if you're here and you don't claim Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I hope that it draws you to him. That the words that you hear today are not because I'm so wise or clever, but because God is so good and God is so powerful. So we're going to begin with Ephesians. Um, I'm going to read a whole passage <clears throat> that we're going to pick apart, but I wanted to focus on a very famous passage. And this is kind of the end of the section that I'm going to walk us through today. Uh, you guys know me. We've been here long enough together. I don't see you very well. I'm going to rely on my tech, but there'll be times where I'm going to be pulling it close. For all y'all that know me well, that shouldn't shock you. Um, for those of you that are new and don't, don't know me yet, I see very poorly. So doing this will just help us be able to get through together today. I hope that you guys aren't too distracted by it. Well, I want to open us up with prayer, Lord, uh, that our eyes are opened and... Uh, our ears are able to hear today's message and we get something from it. Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. Uh, we're drawn here because you pulled us here for this purpose. Uh, God, even today, the words that you're going to uh, use this frail vessel to pass through to these people's hearts, God, can draw even, even sinners who couldn't do it without you, Lord, can draw them to repentance. God, I thank you for this opportunity to be able to just get into this box and be able to preach your word. God, thank you for using me. I appreciate it so much. God, we love you so much. Amen. Amen. So we're going to start in Ephesians 2. I'm going to use my tech. Hopefully the magnet isn't going to mess me up. And it begins. I'm going to read the whole passage once and then we will pick it apart. For you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once, in which you once walked, following the courses of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that it is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, so that's a lot. So we're going to be picking our way back and forth, talking, going verse by verse, kind of seeing this, and hopefully as we move through, you see that God's mercy is great and that we are in desperate need of God's mercy. So as we look at verse 1, we know, that, we know that Paul here is talking to Christians. So if you're a Christian in here, the words that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus are, are for you too. For you to, to gain a better understanding of who your Savior is. But if you are not yet one in here who says, yes, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior... 
you can still get a lot out of what the Lord is talking about. And you can see exactly where you are and exactly why you are in need of a savior. So in verse one, Paul's talking to Christians and, and in verse two, he said in the past tense were, okay, so let's go back and let's see that because this past tense idea is going on here. It is not something that these believers are currently in. And it says, in which you, in which you once walked following the courses of the world, following the passion or the, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So we're talking about the past tense. He's talking about in the past, Christian, you were like you were following Satan, essentially. You may not know it. You may not have signed on the dotted line. Yes, I would like to worship you, Satan, and follow your decrees. But you did. You wanted to. You only could. Both of those things happening at the same time. So he's laying that out to them, giving them a clear idea of where you were. Okay, you were here. Why are you here now? And he's going to be driving that forward. And in verse 3, he starts talking about, but... So I, I teach an ELD class as part of my normal teaching. And so it's kids that are learning English. They come for extra focused teaching. And this week we happen to be talking about conjunctions. Uh, the, you, you guys know the schoolhouse rock conjunction junction. What's your function? Hooking up clauses and phrases and actions. Okay. Um, we were talking about that. And we see a conjunction here. It's the conjunction but. Now luckily for me, you guys are all adults. So you didn't start laughing the way that my fifth graders did. But the, the word but here is a, is a direction changer. It changes the flow of the sentence going from one way into another. But, uh, for Christians, but can also be read here as and. So let's go back to three and then see what he's talking about here. So he's talking about, you were this. You were following the passions of your heart. You were following the prince of the power of the air. And in verse three, it says... Um, Excuse me, verse four. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love for which he has for us, or has loved us. So this, our path of living this life in which we are in rebellion to God changes not because we willed ourselves to do it. I'm not standing here teaching because I was smart enough to be able to be like, whoa, sin is super wrong and I want to be super faithful to God. But because God's mercy allowed that change to happen. That direction changer is not in us. None of us here who are saved did that work on our own. That work was done to us and for us by God. I looked up mercy because we, it's a word that we use all the time and I wanted to just have kind of a good working definition for us. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone that you could punish or harm. So for us, us, I mean, even Christians, we still sin. Mercy for us might be, I'm not going to do something bad to you that you really deserve because you wronged me. But for God, God, God harms nobody. God does punish sin. And anyone who is not found in Christ on judgment day will be punished. But God does show his mercy to people who are saved. If you count yourself as a believer, that is because God has shown mercy to you. You didn't deserve it. He gave it to you. Going down to verse four. Why did he show mercy to the Christian? 
Why is God showing mercy? Is it because somehow we're still super lovable? Is it because something about us is so amazing that God just is in desperate need of being connected to us? No, God needs nothing. God is completely at ease being God. He was God before creation happened. He's God during creation. He's God after. None of it he needed. He didn't do creation because in some way he needed creation to validate him or to um, give him worth or to justify his existence as being the biggest thing in the universe. God is outside of the universe. God created the universe. He needs nothing from any of us. So why did he do it? But God being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he had us or had for us, that God's love is driving his mercy here. Not out of a sense of, oh, I need them to love me back because then I'll be a really good God. But just because God is love, he did it. He chose to save men and women who were completely living in rebellion. So as we move on to verse 5, our, our sin leaves all people dead spiritually until God makes us alive. So Paul's not talking about this as if there's two veins of Christian or two veins of people. One, the Christian who is free of sin and, and is able to love God. And then those that are not lovable and as if those two paths were always separate. God only pulls saved people from the camp of unbelief. So if you're saved, it's because you were once in sin. You were a slave to the sin that you both could only do and that you wanted to do. It took God's, it took God's mercy and love to pull you from that camp where you were indebted to this sin. You could not get away from it. You wanted to do it. Only God could do that. We see in verse 5 that this, this was done with Christ and by Christ. Um, in verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And then we see this little, almost like a parenthetical re uh, remark that we're going to see later. By grace you have been saved. So in 5 when it says, raised up with him and see, oh, sorry. Uh, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So we see, again, this, um, we see this prepositional phrase, with Christ. So we're, we are connected. We are raised up not because of anything of ourselves, not because of anything that we did to make that happen, but we're raised up with Christ and by Christ. Christ's work, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. If you come to our church on Easter Sunday, you're going to hear uh, uh, specifically about this death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he, being without sin, took on sin for all those who would be saved. Those sins placed on his shoulders, he was, con he was condemned, put to death, and raised up on the third day, thus defeating death. That is what enables the Christian, when God calls them out of darkness and into his marvelous light, to also be saved. That was done with Christ, just as Christ was raised up. All who are Christ's will be raised up, justified on um, with God. 
but also done by Christ because of what he did. His sinful life, oh geez, his sinless life that you could not live, that I could not live, that no one could live. You can't even start out living. Oh, I'm a, a baby does not start out sinless. Babies, just like adults, need Christ too. Every single human is in need of Christ. Eventually, every Christian gets to be in God's presence. That's one of the benefits of salvation. You get to be in fellowship and in the presence of God. Now, God is uh, omnipresent, so God is everywhere. But we're talking about in a sense that I'm not his adversary. I'm not at war with him. I I am his child. I'm adopted by him. I am an heir with Christ. That is a completely different kind of presence than the non-believer gets. And it's because of God's mercy that he takes former rebellious um, creation and draws them not only into a, a, into a, I've forgiven you for what you've done, but now I've adopted you into my family. In verse six, um, or in verse seven, in that, in that, in, oh, sorry. So that in the coming ages, we might show the imme- or he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So we're being saved from our sin, but we're also being brought into this into this new family with with God as our heavenly Father, in which He's going to show us His immeasurable riches of His grace. Okay, I don't know that we can fully even start to grasp that idea of immeasurable like we're people we try to put measurements on everything how tall is this how much is that how small is this but this idea of immeasurable is going to be something we're not going to be able to to plumb the depths and get a real understanding of just how large and how deep and how great this love is we're not we're going to have eternity to to experience it but we're not going to understand it fully in the way that we try to understand things now as humans and then, we, and then we start moving into kind of um, in, in this most famous passage in this section where it talks about, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. So you're saved by God's grace. His mercy is, is, goes out to the believer. They are saved. It is not something that you or I did. Uh, we ne- none of us in here did anything that that God looked down and was like, "Oh man, they're so good. I really do need to help this one. I need to save this one because they there's something intrinsically good about them." No, you're saved because God saved you because God's merciful and God's good, not because you're good, not because of anything other than God's mercy. And it goes on, it says, and not a result of works so that no one can boast. You didn't earn your salvation. You weren't even smart enough to choose salvation and God did the rest. You did none of that. It took God's Holy Spirit to enlighten your heart, to see that you have a need for Christ and to cry out for him. You brought your sin to the, to the, to the table. God brought Jesus to the table. You have nothing that earned it 
You have nothing that can keep it. You have, un, you have no ability to lose it. It is all completely held by God. He, he draws in his saved children. He guards them. He keeps them. You do nothing in any of those aspects. And because of that, you have nothing to boast about. You didn't save yourself. You weren't smart enough to recognize that you needed a savior. So then God did it. You just get to experience God's mercy and love. Not because of anything inside of you that made you worthy of that. And it finishes up in 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Uh Uh-oh, well, now it's good works. We have works that we have to do. No, not works that we have to do in a sense that it maintains us being saved or it validates God made a good decision in saving us. We're doing these good works because God has laid them out for us to do, but they are evidence of what God has done inside. The good things that you see brothers and sisters around here do every Saturday is not because we're working to maintain our good relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's because God is good and a good God is a God that we want to follow and obey and be obedient to and love and do the things that please him. These good works are not something that gives us validation. They're not something that even shows each other. Oh, well, I'm glad that brother Ron is doing that. Cause that shows that God really saved him. I'm glad that he's here. No, it has everything to do with God's mercy and love and a heart that is changed by Jesus Christ is a heart that will want to be obedient to him. Do the things that he wants us to do. Behave in the ways that he has laid out for us to behave. Our tastes change. Our lives change. Our actions change. Our motives change. I could be up here trying to show, oh, look at how smart Brother Steve is. No, I'm not smart. But God is good and God uses his people to do great things, to show his love and his mercy. In conclusion, if you're here and, you're a, and you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are able to rest in the fact that God has saved you, God is keeping you saved, and God is sanctifying you and growing you as we go along this life. If you're not here, friend, you are in opposition to God. You are living in rebellion and disobedience. That will not go unpunished. Your sin is going to be punished on somebody. I guarantee you that. I promise. It's going to be on one person's shoulders. Your shoulders or Christ's shoulders. Today is the day of salvation. Believe. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this day, God. Uh, Lord, the fact that you saved one person is amazing. Uh, but the fact that you've saved multitudes of people throughout time and will continue to do so, God, is just evidence of just how merciful and loving you are. Lord, I pray that if there's people in here today that don't know you as their Lord and Savior, that you grab hold of their heart, you give them the eyes to see that you truly are the only salvation. We love you, f- we love you for everything. We thank you so much for the food that you provided for so many people today, God, uh, yet more evidence that you are truly a God of blessing. We love you so much. Amen.